The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today we have a very special guest with us, Robert White, who is CEO of Extraordinary People and author of Living an Extraordinary Life. Robert serves on the board of directors for several nonprofits, including Plant It 2020. Can't wait to hear more about that. And most recently has been asked to serve on the Desmond Tutu Peace Foundation Board. It's quite an honor. Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cheryl. It's great to be with you. It's wonderful to have you here, and I can't wait to hear what it's like to work with all these extraordinary people. So um, where are you today, Robert? I'm in Denver, Colorado, where uh, my home and office are located. Oh, great. So is it a sunny day in Denver? 308 days a year, Cheryl. It's a blessing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now that's a good marketing point for Denver. (laughs) Well, uh, when I left Asia, after many years in Asia, I only had two rules. One was a a good airport, and the second one was low humidity. Ah, yeah. Hmm. (laughs) Well, you got both. And I got both in uh, in this beautiful place. Oh, that's great. That's great. So we really do appreciate you taking the time to come speak with us today. Um, you know, I have heard a bit about the work you do over the years, and you have had quite an impact on the field of human potential. Um, I am curious, before we get into kind of what you're doing today, I'm curious about what got you started? What what really piqued your interest into how people tick and how to make them better? Well, I think I always had that interest, even though I don't believe for a long time that I would have been able to articulate the interest. But mm-hmm. if I look back at some of the decisions I made over, over time, somewhat unconsciously, a lot of them were based in a curiosity but I had a small sales organization in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, many years ago, and I was struggling with it. I was not doing well. And a friend of mine attended one of the early human potential movement seminars, the Mind Dynamics Seminar. Um, you know, out of Mind Dynamics came Lifespring and SciWorld and Est and so many others. And after he leaned on me for a significant period of time, and while I resisted, attending the seminar, I finally did go. And it sounds trite all these years later, but it was a life-changing experience for me. I mean, my life significantly transformed in as a result of that program. So what happened for you in that in that experience? uh, The old mind dynamics training was not as sophisticated as many of the programs being done today. However, it gave 
structured period of guided meditation. And within that, I discovered uh, just a whole lot about how I was showing up in life and where that came from for me. And it it gave me the awareness to make some, some new choices. And my relationships particularly changed following the seminar. I became... Uh, I don't think I, internally I wasn't less critical, but I expressed it uh, less often. Hmm. And uh, my relationships just blossomed. As a result, my business tripled in one year following the seminar. Oh, interesting. And I started sending people and, um, you know, my friends and relatives and people in my company. And, uh, and the more of those people that attended the seminar, the better my life got. Well, and so you you say that, you know, in some ways the way you interacted with people shifted, and then that gave them some room, I think, to be different with you. Yes. But what what, what was it that um, made you own this. I mean it sounds like it wasn't it was more than just having the intellectual <clears throat> excuse me, the intellectual understanding that if I do this things will change. I think a lot of it had to do with learning about personal responsibility from that mm-hmm. standpoint that, that being a victim um, rendered me powerless and that I um, I didn't like being powerless. You know, I wanted to feel like I had some vote in my own life and it just was so clear to me that it was only by taking responsibility and, and uh, owning the choices that I was making and owning what was happening around me, that was the only way I could gain some power, some control over my own life. It was almost, I think simultaneously, it was very pragmatic in that it was getting me what I wanted at the time. Right. But at the same time, there was a, a deeper, um, I, you know, I hesitate to use the word spiritual, let's say energetic movement within me uh-huh. to start uh, really being who I was and uh, acting on one, um, why I think God put me here. Hmm, interesting. Well, you know, the little bit that I've read about you, and, you know, it seems like you are so prolific. I mean, there's so much that you have done and so much that you have reached out to create, and not just consecutively, but, I mean, it's it's simultaneously, which is fascinating in itself. One wonders where you get all that energy, Robert. (laughs) (laughs) Well, some people would say ADHD, uh, (laughs) I I suppose. What's that attention deficit hyperactivity disorder? (laughs) Uh, I'm just curious, and I look for places where I can contribute, and and, um, things seem to come to to me as a result of that. Do you think you were always curious? Were you curious as a kid? I was. I was in a family dynamic where it was both literally and figuratively beaten out of me, or at least that attempt was made. And um, I think, if anything, it kind of both hardened my resolve and uh, motivated me. Um, You know, I'm the classic wrong side of the tracks kid who wanted a better life. Yeah, yeah. How old were you when you got involved in the, you were exposed to the mind dynamics training? I was the late in my late 20s. Late 20s, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, my contribution in the earlier days of, of the human potential movement was strictly around the business. 
around the game, oh. around making oh. the programs more available to more people. Oh. My interest in the real work, the real content, came uh, came later. Oh, fascinating. The universe works in interesting ways, doesn't it? You know, yes, it does. Trying to get you to where you need to be. Um, well, so you really did contribute to, you know, not only for yourself, but in helping the human potential movement become more of a business. So, you know, you can make money making people better kind of a thing. Yes. You know, the the learning over the years has been that I believe that the best way to get rich, I think it was true then and, and it's true today, if you really want to get rich, then figure out a way to contribute to the maximum number of people. And it's not just a bumper sticker. It's really true. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about um, kind of where you are right now. So you have a company called Extraordinary People. Um, this company is quite diverse. You have some nonprofits within it or or. Correct me if I'm wrong. Are they within the organization, or are they arms of the organization? Uh, no, we just dedicate part of our profits uh-huh. to nonprofits and okay. encourage people to get involved in in service projects. But they're all out. They're all outside of extraordinary people. Outside of extraordinary people. Okay. So tell us a little bit about you know what drives you and how you teach people to get in touch with what matters to them. Well, I believe to many of your listeners, it's not a surprise that I that I have a strong affection for, respect for, uh, admiration for the people that that uh, worked so hard for so many years to develop experiential education. Mm-hmm. That assisting people by getting them into learning games and exercises and simulations, so that they can discover what's true for them. Mm-hmm. So that's the piece uh, on the on the content side. That fascinates me. That I think over time I've I've become reasonably skilled at doing, um, and um, uh, so that's that's the focus. It's on it's on uh, creating experiences for people where they can uh, develop uh, much greater awareness, much greater noticing. My former wife uh, talks about developing a a, uh, a higher state of. of of noticing, which is a slightly different way of saying building awareness, but I like it. Mm-hmm. And uh, then still, I still believe so strongly that the greatest single breakthrough that anybody can make is to move from being a victim, either mm-hmm. a big one or a little one, but a victim, to being uh, somebody that owns their entire life, that takes 100% personal responsibility for what's going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. And then finally, developing a, a mastery level of communication Everything happens in our lives in communication, either in how we receive them or how we how we deliver them. And um, developing a, a mastery level of communication is a very, very powerful tool in life. How do you do that? You put people in experiences where they discover uh, what's true for them around purpose, their their reason for living, around their vision, around their values. Most people live in a in a kind of fog in terms of why they're here on the planet, in terms of what they really want to generate in their lives around what's really important to them and, and there and there I'm talking about core values mm. and 
in that lack of awareness of all of that, that fog, um, they make choices that don't work very well for them. Uh, so uh, helping people look at things in different ways, uh, bringing that awareness up, uh, seems to really uh, generate a transformational space for them. Well, I'm wondering about the whole issue of core values. You know, um, it sounds like your core values, maybe the ones that you were raised with as a child, are not the core values you live today. Is that true? I think to a large degree it's true. However, I believe at that time, and I I do contrast it with it today, at that time my neighborhood and our culture as a whole uh, communicated some values that really were uh, positive, powerful, productive, and that served me well today. Hmm. Hmm. I think that one of the issues we face today as parents or as leaders in companies is that the culture as a whole is not very supportive of of positive, life-affirming values. Hmm. Well, you know, I want to get into this. Um, I want to talk a bit more about what cultures exist that do hold life-affirming values and how we can change what's going on in our organizations today. Let's do that when we come back right after this break. From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. More and more business people recognize the importance of spirituality in their work. How do busy professionals discover what rings true for them? Embracing the journey with Karen Humphrey Salad explores what it means to be spiritually fulfilled in business and how to integrate spiritual direction into a career. Expert guests, authors, and inspiring speakers join Karen every week to discuss such issues as honesty, compassion, generosity, ethics, and integrity in the workplace. Take a positive step forward to greater life balance. Tune into Embracing the Journey with Karen Humphrey Salad, broadcasting every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. We're speaking with Robert White, Chairman and CEO of Extraordinary People. Robert, before we went to break, um, you mentioned that organizations today don't necessarily support um, a, a culture of positive practices and positive beliefs or life-affirming practices. Can you talk a little more about that? 
I um, and of course I'm generalizing. There, there, in fact, are organizations that do that and do it very, very well. And and I'm so impressed with them. I so admire them. And I know how challenging it is to create that kind of culture within organizations, particularly as they grow larger. But I don't believe it's a surprise to anybody or new news when I say that many organizations are almost toxic, that the level of dishonesty between people uh, at all levels is uh, huge, and that they are places that diminish spirit instead of expanding and building on it. Uh, I, you know, that's um, that's not unique to me to make that observation. Right, right. Do you think, does it matter if it's a really large organization that spans many countries or a small organization that, you know, where everybody is in the same room? And does it matter? Do those things matter? Well, I, I, you know, size and scale simply accelerate what are, what is already there. Right. And, um, you know, for many, many years, a company like Hewlett-Packard, which became, you know, so huge, yeah. was still a wonderful place to work, particularly for people with a technical technical background mm-hmm. or bent. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, you know, they were in lots of countries all around the world, and yet they maintained this wonderful culture. Um, reports are that it, that's less true today, but mm-hmm. that uh, over the years, they built a very large organization based on the ethics and values of those two guys starting out a gar- in, a, in a garage, I think, in Palo Alto. Mm-hmm. So I think it's possible. Uh, I believe that to some degree, the U.S. Army is a very, very, very large organization with generally a positive culture, and yet their business is war-making. Mm-hmm. But, you know, things like... It's the most diverse workforce in the world. Uh, people of color, people of multiple religions are promoted um, quite fairly most of the time from everything that I've heard and noticed. So it is possible to have a very large organization that with relatively positive values. Mm-hmm. It's not common. I think that as size increases, the mechanisms that get put in place in order to, to gain control of the business has a tendency to wring the humanity out of the business. Hmm. Well, and then how do you change that? It becomes insidious in the culture. How do you make a change with that? My experience is that one of the... I mean, there's a, there is a formula. It's not unique to me or to the work that we've done with several large organizations, but a big aspect of it that's often missed, quite frankly, is velocity. The what you want to do is to change the coffee machine conversation, you know, the the informal conversation, and uh, and to do that takes a, a certain speed, a certain velocity. If you put enough people, this is pretty strong belief that I have, and it's just my belief. If you put enough people in experiences where they look at developing a common purpose for the organization, a common vision, a commonly held vision, mm-hmm. commonly held core values, and that we all reach agreement on what the strategic objectives are, uh, people quite naturally will come together and work together in a positive and, and healthy way. Mm-hmm. And uh, in particular, if you put additional mechanisms in place to kind of call people out when they're not living the purpose, the vision, and the values. Right. 
my uh, slightly adapted statement from a, something I read in uh, a business magazine years ago is that the only the only authentic purpose of uh, or authentic role of a, of a chief executive officer in a large organization is the creation, communication, and maintenance of a common purpose, vision, and value for the organization. Mm-hmm. That everything else can can and should be delegated. And the key word in that, I mean, I think everybody quickly gets, okay, facilitating the creation of that common purpose, vision, values. Okay, I understand that. Or, or communicating, I understand that. Mm-hmm. The key word, it seems to me, is maintenance. Mm-hmm. You know, are you willing to have a public hanging when somebody violates the values? Right. Are you willing to call people out when they're not uh, acting in alignment? Mm-hmm. And that takes incredible clarity and incredible courage mm-hmm. on the part of uh, senior executives. Well, and it seems like, I mean, if we compare that to what's going on um, in the economic systems around the world today, um, things had to get to huge crisis level for there to be anyone who turns around and says, oops, that was wrong, you know, shouldn't have been doing that. Um, and then, of course, you know, talk about a public hanging. I mean, the attempt to have several of those go on now is is um, rabid. Why why does it take that? I mean, you know, I mean, you're talking a lot about leadership courage that in that situation doesn't exist. Um, you know, how do people develop that muscle, that leadership courage? You know, I wish that I had a clear answer, Cheryl. I know that on a personal level, my lessons in my own life have most often come out of uh, breakdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my I, I talk about my first awareness training being the uh, Mind Dynamics Seminar, but that's not true. What's really true is my first awareness training was divorce, mm-hmm. where I went into a courtroom and where I think I'm just playing this little, uh, you know, like the Japanese uh, stagecraft called No, where I'm just in this little No play in order to get a divorce and suddenly realize that what they're saying from the front of that room is actually true about me. Uh I really did act in those ways. I really did behave like that. I really was that kind of person. Mm -hmm. And then making that, that leap to... I don't want the next five years of my life to be like the last five years of my life. Mm. And not knowing what to do with that, but at least getting that awareness. So if we look at our own personal lives, quite often we don't change until we get, you know, slapped upside of the head by a two by four, mm-hmm. by a death in the family, by a divorce, by a job loss, by those kinds of, of temporary tragedies that often turn out to be huge uh, growth uh, instigators in our lives. And I see the same thing in these major organizations. At the same time, I see people in just awesome denial as they protect their ego or identity mm-hmm. to avoid taking responsibility for what they've done. Mm-hmm. There was a recent interview with Barney Frank, the, the head of the House uh, Financial Services Committee, where you know basically he was asked for take, to take responsibility for the, his role in this meltdown. And I saw somebody, uh, the old expression, dancing as fast as he can yeah. to avoid his role in it. And, and uh, I think that, that uh, we're still a long way from um, reconciling mm-hmm. the responsibility for the mess that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I dare say the whole concept of 
victim has certainly become part of our societal culture. Here in the U.S., I can speak to that. I, you know, I, I'm, it does happen around the world, but I can speak to seeing it really thrive here in the U.S. And, you know, that that comes in the form of all kinds of lawsuits. You know, nothing is my fault. Even if I took the action, the people who, you know, set it up are the ones who are to blame, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, it's as if we've become a nation of, you know, nothing I do is my fault kind of a thing, which means nothing I do um, is my responsibility either. And, you know, how can we be a people or a nation, whether it's a family or a company or a country, that actually... Um, creates success and actually does good and makes large contribution to the better of the world. How can we do that if we don't own what we do? Uh, well, Cheryl, <laughs> yeah. you've, you've now said it all. I mean, that's the question out of which I kind of I'm living my life and doing my work. And uh, certainly, a a major leverage point in all of this is media. Uh, media has a huge impact on our lives and on our culture. I recall a few months ago uh, turning on the local news. They had a uh, man-on-the-street kind of story, and then they threw it back to the studio. And, uh, you know, in every one of these stations, they have Ken and Barbie. Yes. You know, Ken <laughs> and Barbie. It doesn't matter which city you're in, there's always Ken and Barbie. So uh, Barbie turns to Ken, and she says, Well, Ken... Who's to blame for this? You know, that's just a minor little sentence, a, a, a minor question on a television show. But what I suggest is that it is indicative of the culture. Right. I can't think of a question that is less valuable than who's to blame. Mm. I can't think of a question that is uh, that leads to uh, a more dysfunctional uh, culture. Because the question is not who's to blame, it's it's who's accountable. That's a very different question. Very and, different. You know, it's a much more challenging question. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, you know, taking responsibility is not accepting blame. Mm-hmm. You know, blame is emotionally loaded and toxic. Mm-hmm. And um, taking responsibility is freeing, if anything, hmm. and empowering and and you know, generates uh, a feeling that I chose this, and and um, so therefore I have some power in the matter. Mm-hmm. But we've got an educational problem in in our society that is deep, and it's being reinforced every day by uh, people who should know better. So yeah, say a little bit more about that in our education system. Uh, well, you know, I remember sitting with... Uh, Warner Earhart and and uh, uh, I'm trying to think of who was at the table. Uh, John Hanley, uh, myself, uh, Tom Wilhite, and um, these are all people who are at the forefront of the human potential movement. Yeah, years ago we were all in our late twenties, early thirties. Um, I'm trying to think of the uh, young guy from Australia, um, and it's I'm blanking on it, but uh, he, he later. Um, Stuart Emery, the guy that did oh, the actualizations. Yeah, I know yeah, wrote the book yeah. Actualizations. And <clears throat> we were all at this table at a at um, 
uh, I think the place was called the Spinnaker on the waterfront in Sausalito. Oh, yes. There was a sizable amount of uh, wonderful California wine being consumed at the time. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, what I recall about the late 20-year-olds to do. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And uh, what I recall is that we, you know, we're all naive and motivated and excited, and we all decided that we would all be out of business within 25 years. Oh. Because messages about awareness and responsibility and communication would enter the institutions. They would become part of the educational structure. Mm-hmm. They'd become part of business. They'd become part of government. We wouldn't be needed, and we will have made a huge contribution, and we'd be very proud of ourselves, and then we'd have to find something else to do. That was the conversation. Mm-hmm. And we were so sincere. I just remember how sincere and naive we were about it. Here we are 25 years later plus, and this kind of work is more needed than it ever has been before. More than ever. And we're going to talk more about uh, how this continues to be needed in our con- companies and in our country when we come back right after this The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The economy and financial markets continue to expand in both their size and complexity, but being able to anticipate changes in the markets for housing, jobs, and financial assets remains a crucial ingredient to our financial well-being. On the economy and the markets, with economist, investment strategist, portfolio manager, and host Doug Cliggett, utilizes his 25 years of experience with that of his highly informed guests to provide clear, reasoned explanations of current events. To navigate the markets that influence our lives every day of the week, tune into The Economy and the Market with Doug Cliggett, broadcasting each Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The economy and the markets. Clear thoughts in a complex world. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. We're speaking with Robert White today, the author of Living an Extraordinary Life. So, Robert, it's now 25 years later plus, as you say, and this work is needed more than ever. 
Now, we can, you know, kind of rattle off all the things that got us here and, you know, why why we're not functioning at, the, at such a high level as we should be as, uh, as a people. Um, but where do you see it going from here? You know, I mean, do you keep just putting the same message out? I mean, are we ready to hear it in a different way? What's your take on this? Well, if it's true that um, breakthrough comes from uh, uh, jumping into breakdown, Mm -hmm. then, you know, perhaps what's happening in our economy, what's happening in our families, what's happening in our businesses uh, and other organizations, as horrible as a lot of it may seem, may have that hidden benefit of waking us up. You know, in my in my book, in Living an Extraordinary Life, um, in promoting it, when it originally came out in hardcover, I did a lot of radio interviews. You know, you send the book out, and my guess is about one-third of the interviewers read it. Right, <laughs> right. The, the two-thirds, you know, just use the talking points or kind of make something up. But from the people that read it, what's interesting to me is how many of them asked me in the interview about one sentence that's in the book where I say that life is uh, easy. Uh, um, excuse me, life is simple. This does not mean it's easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems to me that that's kind of a little clue as to uh, our way forward as a people and as families and as individuals is to realize that life is actually simple. People way smarter than me have figured it out long, long ago. And, but it's not easy. And stepping up to the challenges of life requires some, probably some discomfort. Um, and that's the piece for me that where I go, that's where I'm hopeful, that we do, in fact, have the capacity to endure great struggle. And by coming through it and learning the lessons inherent in it, that we become a better and stronger people. There are so many great things happening, and and I'm so encouraged. Uh, you know, my daughter Alicia is about to graduate from college in with a degree essentially in conflict resolution, hmm. and she's worked the last five years for this organization here in Colorado called Building Bridges for Peace, where they bring right. 18 Palestinian young women and 18 Israeli young women together for a three-week intensive in the mountains. Now, in my lifetime, and I think in yours, Cheryl, there's probably no more intractable problem than the Mideast. Right. As long as we can remember. Yep. It's been death and disaster and struggle and deprivation and just horrible, horrible things. And it's very, very difficult to see any, any solution there. But at the end of those three-week periods each summer, they do a little fundraiser and graduation ceremony, which I attend, and I'm telling you that you cannot be in that room for that two and a half or three hours and not come out being hopeful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an example of so many things that are happening in business, in government, in um, in families, and for individuals, where people are, are just, it's either because they're fed up or because they grew up in a family that, that just really uh, modeled positive uh, values and had conversations about purpose and vision and spirit, mm-hmm. uh, wherever it came from, I think that if you look for it, you can find some hope. You know, it, what you're saying makes me think of, um, 
how in war they talk, they, the big they, in war, I've heard that in war, um, when people who are on opposite sides come face to face, suddenly they're now talking to a person, not to the enemy. Yes. You know, there's a face to this, and suddenly humanity shows up. And it makes me think about how, um, you know, you, you mentioned that a lot of people walk around in a fog. Well, it's almost as if in that fog we get to be anonymous. And so in our society, you know, we've all, we've all begun to walk around like, like we're all anonymous, like we don't have to take responsibility like you mentioned earlier. We don't have to be accountable because... The big they is in charge, and the big they is the problem. And, you know, I don't really have to be responsible. So, you know, that person who's in in the war who comes face-to-face with the person on the other side, suddenly it's I am responsible. I am the one who either has to pull the trigger or not. I am the one who has to act. And there is no moving away from that. I'm wondering, do you do you see us able to show up this way more? I mean, you know, is this is this breakdown becoming the breakthrough, and is that going to be an element of it? Well, it doesn't have to be, unfortunately. the The breakdown uh, will only re- lead to breakthrough if we get the kind of experiences and coaching that we need to make you know, some very, very important distinctions. Distinctions in language. You know, we talked earlier about that distinction between accountability and blame. Uh, distinctions in uh, in behavior. Distinctions in also in that internal wiring that we have that, that says we don't make a difference. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think most people would consciously articulate that statement, I don't make a difference. Mm-hmm. But when challenged, people will quickly go to that place mm-hmm. where... Uh, you know why me mm-hmm. or or well i can't i can't shift that i'm just and then yeah. fill in the blanks there's a very um successful popular public speaker here in the denver area in boulder colorado named alan Paris, a, a good friend a graduate of our programs i think just an incredibly talented guy and um alan tells a story about being on an airplane sitting down next to somebody and you know it's the classic what do you do conversation and when he asked his seatmate what does he do the man responded i'm just an insurance agent Mm -hmm. think about that Mm -hmm. without insurance we can't uh, drive a car at least not responsibly without insurance we can't buy a home because it can't be insured for fire and and damage and Mm -hmm. you know all of those things so nobody's going to Nobody's going to lend us money for a car or house without insurance. Uh, without insurance, uh, you know, the risk in our lives just goes up and up and up. Yet this man is saying, I'm just an insurance agent. Mm-hmm. He's actually important, <laughs> you know, in the in the big scheme of things. We all have the opportunity to contribute. We all do make a difference. Uh, we're all... Um, we're all really, really important, and when we hold ourselves as anything less than that, uh, I think that's that's the really almost criminal thing to do. You know, I do this free um, easing called an extraordinary minute. Mm. It's a little email that's designed to be read in one minute or less. And in a recent one, can I quote 
a recent yeah, one? Sure, sure. This is a quote from Martin Luther King, Jr. He said, If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted, or Beethoven composed music, or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in these kind of celebrity culture days, when we celebrate people that are famous for being famous, it's, I think it's kind of easy to forget that all of us make a difference, and all of us can contribute. And the, the really toxic and even insidious form of self-talk is when we, in, in any way, diminish our work, diminish ourselves, diminish our worth in the world. Mm. And what comes out of that for me is, you know, it sounds like a bumper sticker, but it's, you know, go big or go home. You know? <laughs> Brag a little. Throw yourself a party. Oh, that's great. You know, I love it. Give yourself an award. Being extraordinary is a choice, and it's a choice that any of us can make. And my you talked about you know where kind of where I am. I, I see myself at this point in life as as um, you know that I have to make this switch from being the lifelong student, which I have been and, and has worked for me very well, to being uh, more of a an oracle or more of a a, a preacher really, mm-hmm. and to encourage people that within them lies greatness, within them lies possibility. They do need to act on it. <laughs> they, you know, just having the abstraction or kind of yeah. thinking about it is is inadequate to what's ahead of us and what's well, in front of us. And that it's that action part that often people have struggled with, you know. Um, and I see this uh, a lot of times when people um, go to seminars or read books and they get inspired and they think, "Oh, that's great. That's what I should do." That. Now I get it. And then they have trouble applying it. They have trouble being it. And so when we come back, I want you to talk a bit about um, why what you teach is just a little different. Okay. We'll be right back. The Bottom Line in Business. Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. The Bottom Line in Business, Voice America Business. 
We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. Now back to your host, Cheryl. This is Cheryl Escobedo. We're speaking with Robert White on Leading Conversations today about extraordinary people. And that's Robert's book. Sorry, that's Robert's company. His book is Living an Extraordinary Life. So, Robert, you know, we've all gone to workshops, seminars, read books by inspiring people, become inspired, and then not acted. Um, it takes a lot of commitment to act. So based on what I know, based on what I've heard, based on what I see in your work, there's something different about how people experience the work you do and what you provide. So why does it tend to work more? Well, uh, our structure is uh, arrived at by observing, well, in my case, over, over a million people have attended seminars that were conducted by companies that I founded and led. And so I think we've contributed a lot to those people, but we've also learned a lot from them. So my learning uh, in that regard comes to this. If you want to make a meaningful change in your life, there are multiple forces arrayed against you, mostly having to do with your own internal wiring, but also the culture and our, our, our early training our own belief systems. So if you want to interrupt that, if you want your life to be extraordinary, to be really different and and really producing joy and fulfillment and satisfaction and accomplishment, I believe that you first have to have some defining experience uh, of yourself that shakes you out of your current identity and launches you into a new one. Now, our seminars are such an experience, but I've also seen people have that kind of experience uh, as a result of something that happened in their life, the birth of a child, which is joyous, or a marriage that, uh, you know, the love of your life, and, and you've made this commitment together, and out of that joy, you can have an experience where you see yourself differently. Mm-hmm. More often, it's because of, of tragedy. It's a death in the family. It's a, a the failure of a business, the failure of a relationship. But no matter whether you ex- experience, whether you label the experience positive or negative, that it's something that is so vivid that it, it causes you to look at yourself in a new way, to create an opening. So that's the first part, that there needs to be some kind of an experience. Our seminars are artificial uh, environments that mirror in some ways that kind of an experience that, that generates the space for you to look at yourself in a new and different and better way. The second piece is repetition, that you need to stay in that space of whatever it is you're learning and have it be uh, repeated to you in multiple ways. The people in neurolinguistic programming you know, talk about all the different modalities that, where we, how we receive and learn sure. information. And so, but it needs to be repeated. And the third thing is coaching. Whether, you know, the, the, I'm a big proponent. Uh, if I want to learn something, I'm going to find somebody that knows more about it than I do mm-hmm. and have them help me through the process. So those are the three things that I think are necessary for lasting change in our lives, lasting positive change, is some kind of an experiential event, 
followed by repetition and then coaching. You know, I mentioned this little uh, email that I do every week called An Extraordinary Minute. And, uh, you know, if somebody wants to sign up for that, by the way, it is free and, and it's a way for me to stay in touch with people. And they can do that at um, extraordinaryseminar.com. Hmm. Uh, just like it sounds, extraordinaryseminar.com. And click on the button and sign up. But, but that's part of what we're doing, just to stay in touch with people with a positive message. Mm-hmm. And, again, given that it's America and we expect everything to be fast, 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 and that's why we designed it to be read in a minute or less. But <clears throat> that's, that's our approach, uh, a, that any one of those things, either coaching or repetition or the experience, when, when uh, just a single uh, way of approaching change doesn't seem to be adequate. You've got to do all three. Well, you know, it, what that brings up for me is the story people live in. You know, there, people tell themselves, we all tell ourselves story, it's stories about ourselves, and those form the beliefs that then drive our behaviors. And I'm wondering about, you know, when we enter into a decision to make change, do we have to say, who am I going to be? Who do I want to be when the well, happens? Well, you know, the, the, the word that I like, uh, the concept that I like is identity. And here's a quick story to illustrate that. So imagine uh, a guy, kind of middle-aged guy, and his 13-year-old daughter. They're walking down the street in East Hampton, uh, New York. It's a beautiful summer day. And they're going to get ice cream uh, at the end of a father-daughter day together. Got the picture? Yep. All right. Sounds wonderful, right? By the way, this is a true story. (laughs) The guy starts singing aloud. He is so happy that he starts singing aloud. And his 13-year-old daughter says what? Stop it, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) Instantly. Because you know, you know, we all know the identity of a 13-year-old daughter, right? Right, right, right. She says, stop. What she actually said was, stop it, Dad. You're embarrassing me. (laughs) Right? Now, I've done this enough, by the way. I actually have a bumper sticker on the inside of my pantry that my daughters gave to me that says, I embarrass my children. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I do. Um, But, uh, so... Uh, she says, stop it, Dad, you're embarrassing me. How does he respond? And, you know, I've done this in public events, and you get all of the re- different responses come from the audience. Some say, well, he, he becomes silent, or other people say, well, he apologizes, and other people say he sings louder, which, <laughs> which would be the Robert White uh, response <laughs> with his daughters. Um, and uh, all of these different responses. His actual response was anger. Oh, wow. Oh, I forgot to tell you something about the true story. Yes. The guy is Billy Joel. Oh, wow. Mm. Billy Joel sang, and his daughter said, Stop it, Dad, you're embarrassing me. Oh, boy. (laughs) And he reacted in anger, which essentially destroyed his relationship with his daughter for more than one year. Uh She wouldn't talk to him. He ends up in therapy. And what he discovered is that the identity that he had built up around being the world-famous platinum album-selling singer, you know, when I saw him live here at the Pepsi Center, it was, you know, an intimate crowd of 18,000 people. Mm-hmm. Now, that takes a pretty strong identity to do that, right? Absolutely. Get up in front of 18,000. Yeah. So that's the identity that he built. Yeah. And when his daughter challenged it 
he uh, reacted badly. Uh, and what he learned from it, according to the interview with him later, was that uh, he forgot that he had a different identity, which is being the loving, compassionate father that he wants to be. So he came from an identity that didn't work for him in that moment. Uh, I think that's true for many of us, that you know, our identities serve us, just like the identity of the you know, strong, successful, famous singer serves Billy Joel. But our identities also limit us. And if we're going to really make a lot of progress in our lives, it's going to be to have some awareness and take responsibility for both the strengths of our identity and the limitations that it almost always includes. Wow. And on that note, no pun intended, we're going to have to close the show today. Um, Robert White, it's been a pleasure having you with us today. And um, I think that whole issue around who are we, what's our identity, and what story we live in is critical as we make huge shifts and huge changes into our future. The book is Living an Extraordinary Life. The author is Robert White. Robert, thank you again. Please come back and see us. And the book's available at ExtraordinaryBook.com. Perfect. Of course it is. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, everyone, to think big. The world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.